this that feeling like we on the block Where we chop it up and just be cutting up a lot Nothing's off the record, nothing's taboo This is real life talk from three solid dudes From gaming, sports, music, and business We go all in on topics that's trending We just put a little twist on it And hip you to the game while giving you street knowledge Scar Lou, keep it a buck And Cool Dave, there's nobody cooler than us We three guys, we stay live, no faking us Unique takes and perspectives, that is a must uh. So come and join the wave When you tap in, you're sure to be entertained uh. The realest podcast in the game What can we say, we got it made uh. What can we say, we got it made uh. What can we say, we got it made uh. Yo, 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 yo it's your boy Lou. Keep it a buck. You listening to another episode of Made? We got your two favorite co-hosts in the building: the boy Cool Dave, yo, and the boy Scar, yo. And we got a boy, oh boy, a special guest today, a very special guest, the Commander in Chief, standing on the front lines of the fight against violence in the city of York. Ladies and gentlemen, we got Mayor Michael Helfrich in the building. Thanks, Lou. Thanks for having me, guys. Nice to meet you. Now, nice Mike, to meet you too. We, we do things a little bit differently here on the show when we get people in. We give them a minute or two to kind of tell the people who you are, something about you, what you do for a living. I mean, just give us a little insight on yourself. Okay, well, right now, this incarnation, I guess I'm the mayor of York. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm just a, a person who loves my community and, and who kind of came back to York after doing a lot of traveling around the country. And I found my place trying to help work and improving the environment. I didn't like that the People downtown had to live with a polluted creek running through the city, so I really right. started focusing on that and getting people to work together, volunteer to pull the trash out, try to fight the fight the pollution that was coming into the creek. And while I was doing that, I kind of expanded into working on the Susquehanna River, the Chesapeake Bay, all that. And uh, but I had spent time coming into city council and announcing things like creek cleanups and festivals and things that we were doing. And the more I hung out at city council, I guess the more I kept talking and giving my opinions. Yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> and, uh, and then when a friend of mine, Genevieve Ray, was retiring as president of city council, uh, her and some other folks asked me to run for office, and I said, okay. And I ended up in a crazy, crazy world of politics that I wasn't expecting, and, uh, but I won that election. And uh, after winning a second election as a city councilman, I really thought that, uh, that we could do better um, uh, and I thought, well, if you're going to say you're, you can do better, then you got to step up and try and do it. So Absolutely. I ran, so I ran for mayor, and I won that, and I just won my second term as mayor. So I'm just finishing up year five as mayor of the city of York. Awesome. Now, how, how, I know you when, you. when you I talk to you, you strike me more of like a, a free spirit. So how is it to have cameras on you all the time now? Like everybody's always watching. They're watching what you do, what you say, how you say it. And I'm, I'm kind of like the, the mic I'm used to is kind of like, free spirit he's happy he's outgoing and is it does it put a cap on what you can do what you can say while you're in public around people well i committed to myself that i would keep being myself so and uh you know while i while i do like to be very social i i don't i don't go overboard i don't think and mm. uh but you know people are going to say what they're going to say but i'm still going to be me and uh i hope i'm still me and that's that's the great part about you um I do feel like somebody's always kind of after you. Like it's, it's like your first term, 
there was a petition about them bringing up some some felony charges that you had back in like 1999 to try to take the seat away from you and then coming into your second term another petition about you taking your oath too late and it just seems like somebody's always after you. Does it feel like somebody's always on your back? And, and do, you, do you feel like you got to watch your moving target? Yeah, yeah well, that, that's, move. that's what, unfortunately, that's what politics is. You know, what it, okay. should, what it should be is you run hard and then you shake hands at the end of the day or after the election and be like, now it's time to work as a team. But right. it's just not the way it is. At least that's not, that's yeah. not most of my experience. So there, there's always somebody that wants to, wants to do something, but that's, that's a tiny fraction of the people. Sometimes it's that vocal minority, you know, they right. say the people that are really stirring trouble. It's only a few over here, a few over there. Right. Uh, most of us that are in the middle, we don't want to stir up anything. You know, we just want to get our work done yeah. and make things better. But, uh, yeah, I've learned to do that a uh, little brush off, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brush some shoulders off. Yeah, brush, yep. brush that stuff off. They're shooting at something. I got work to do. I'm going to keep doing it. Well, I could tell you. Yeah. I could tell you what. That whole petition during your first term, I can tell you none of the city folk, like the real city folk, signed nothing like that. Us coming from the city, we know how hard it is to get a job at all, having felonies or any kind of convictions on your record. So that the last person that's going to judge you is a, is a city person, somebody coming from the city that's already having a hard time finding a job and yeah. and getting back on their feet because of how people look oh, at it. Oh, I got turned down for all kinds of jobs that I was super qualified for. I scored... I remember I, I took a test to be a census taker, you know, just going around door to door once every 10 years. I scored 100%. They were like, you didn't, we've never had anybody score 100%. <laughs> then I couldn't get the job because of felonies from when I was uh, 20 years old. Wow. You know, and so, you know, I actually, I think it made me a better person. Yeah. Um, definitely more empathetic and sympathetic to, to everyone. And it gives me a lens to look through. That, and we were talking before we, we started recording here, but my belief is that you help the people in the city, and that's how you fix a city. You, right. help, you help lift people up. You help get them jobs. If, they're, if they need some other kind of help, you know, help them. Give them a second chance, yeah. And, and second, third, fourth, whatever we need yeah. to do, because anybody that we push away, you know, that's called disenfranchising. Yep. When you disenfranchise, when you tell somebody you don't care about them, why in the world would they ever care about you? Why would they care about that city? Why would they, you know? Right. So, so caring and love is the center of my thought process. How can, how can we make this city better with love, with caring? Yeah. I like that. So, so how you say, um, you know, there's always another party trying to target you or, you know, they, they have like a, what's known in the business world as hidden agendas and things of that nature. Like, how much harder does that make what you're trying to accomplish and the goals that you have set out? Um, most of the time, it's just personal and emotional. Some days you got to get up and be like, They're that, that's who they are and that's who they want to be. I don't know why, but it has nothing to do with me. Right. You know, yeah. and you just keep going. Uh, sometimes it does mess things up. Like, for instance, there's a, there's a case right now. It's up at the Pennsylvania Superior Court. It's the one about the oath. They go yeah. Oathgate, like in some. Oh, uh, there's like, a name for it and everything. Yeah. They, they, they so it's official now. Wow. Like Watergate, you know, like wow. some kind of big thing. But, but yeah, basically, I, I, um, the city's attorney told me I didn't have to take an oath of office for my second term, and I had I was headed to South Carolina to be with my my seven year old daughter, 
Okay. And uh, well, six back then, and and I had an opportunity. I got invited down to uh, Key West. Okay. First vacation since COVID. I was like, sweet. Drive to Key West. Stop in South Carolina. Then I had a conference, a mayor's conference in Washington D.C. You know. Okay. Joe Biden's there. Other, you know, I'm I'm with wow. the president. Like I'm doing the business of the city of York. Yeah. And uh, so I didn't take I didn't take the oath because I was told I didn't have to. So I come back okay. the very first, but. But nonetheless, the very first day I got back, the uh, the solicitor said, "Hey, you better take that oath because there's this stuff going on, and as long you know, if you take it the first day you get back, then it should be pretty solid." Okay. So I took the oath, but this is still this is still hanging on. We won at your county level, so it was appealed, huh? Was and, it? A- and it was appealed now to the state court. The, yeah. These sixteen people, wow, and the, yeah. and the ringmaster. Um, Sheesh. all are doing more, but, but the, where it hurts, it doesn't hurt me where it hurts is I was getting ready to hire a guy to be the business administrator of the city of York and all this stuff hit. And I talked to actually the, and some of my HR people, and they were like, it's not fair of you to tell this guy from who's living in Nashville to come and move to York. Because if you get kicked out as mayor, a new mayor could come in and say, I want my guy in there. Yeah. You know, so I was just trying to be fair to this guy, but we ended up losing a really, really good candidate because, wow. I, because I didn't want to imposition that person. Now, some other people told me I should have just done it. I won't, I won't bring up their names. Right. But, um, you know, you don't just, you just don't do that to people. You don't unroot, up, right. uproot somebody. When you're not solid, when right. your roots aren't in the ground, yeah, and uh, so so we lost an opportunity there, and that that definitely affected the business of the city of York. But um, like I said, nine times out of ten, it's just something coming at me, and I can I can blow that. Yeah, yeah. Now educate me a little bit. So you you're a Democrat, right? I I am a Democrat. So. So right. how how does this like how I seen you ran as a republic? Right. Yeah, so I hesitated there because I really don't like politics. I like I like policy. I like to know what somebody is thinking. And guess what? The Democrats aren't right a hundred percent of the time. And the Republicans aren't right a hundred percent of the time. And the Green Party's not right. And the Constitutionalists, the Libertarian, you know, nobody's right a hundred percent of the time. I would rather have the freedom to say, and, and not only the freedom. But as soon as you say I'm a D, then there's an R whose whose hair goes up on the back of their neck. Right. You know, right. they're like, oh, he's that. You know, you pit you get we pigeonhole each other. Right. You know, and no offense to the Eagles fan, but I don't want my politics to be sports. I don't want to dislike somebody because they're a Dallas fan. You know yeah. what I mean? No, no, yeah. I don't want to just say, Oh, you're a Republican. I'm never gonna talk to you. Because I guarantee you that there's that one percent of the time or two percent of the time that somebody who doesn't think like you is going to have a gem of an idea that you mm-hmm. never thought of, and if you close your mind and you cl- and you cut off relationships, you're not going to have you're not going to benefit from that. So I really think politics is one of the fool- most foolish things that you know Washington didn't want parties, but then by the time we got a second and third president, we had a two party system. Right. Yeah. Um. But anyhow, to get back to your point, I am a fiscal conservative and a social liberal. So that means that 
if we're dealing with money, I'm going to be, I'm going to be tight. I'm going to be making sure that every penny is going where it should be and it's right. not getting wasted. Which is like more of a Republican. You could say, but that's an opinion. Okay. Republicans give lots of free money to big corporations, but then some of them don't like um, when you give money to individuals that might need it. The poor. The poor. You know, but that's, again, that's also generalizing because you have Republicans right. that don't. That's why I don't like this whole thing. But the other side of me is a social liberal. If you're, I, I don't care who you love. I don't care who you want to marry. If you're not hurting anybody, that's, that's the bottom line for me. As soon as you hurt somebody else, then you're wrong. Right. But if you're not hurting anybody else, why should I be in your house, or in your bedroom, or anything like that? It's just not. So, so that side, it sounds real democratic right. or liberal. And when I'm counting my pennies, I sound real conservative, Republican. So, but I am a registered Democrat because those social issues do mean a lot to me. I really care about how we treat people and to make sure that every, everybody should have the right to be the happiest they can be while they're on this earth. Absolutely. You know, and that's the, that's the key. And that's why most of the time, I guess, uh, that that's, and I was brought up as a Democrat. Mm. And so I lean that way, but I've been an independent, I've been a green, uh, you know, it, <laughs> it's, and as you were pointing out, so back my first time running as mayor, the, uh, the incumbent mayor, Mayor Bracey, mm -hmm. won on the Democratic side where I was running against her. She beat me. Mm -hmm. But the Republicans didn't have anybody running, so they wrote me in. Mm. And so, and I, and I won that write-in. Okay. So I showed up as a registered Democrat. I showed up as the Republican candidate in the fall, mm -hmm. and I won. I, I kept those Democrats that supported me. I brought on a bunch of Republicans and independents and others, and, and I was able to win um, in a wild coalition of people where Green Party people were, were uh, campaigning for me and right-wing Republicans were campaigning for me, and everybody, a whole bunch of people were all working together. A melting pot, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice, nice. Now, and, then, and then this last time I ran, I said, nah, let's flip it up, let's switch it up. And I ran <laughs> as a Democrat. Just so I could get elected once as a Republican and once as a Democrat. Yeah. Making history. Making history, wow. I was about to say, yeah. So do you, do you get looked, looked at differently, like, by people in office, like, for doing stuff like that? Um, I wouldn't say I'm, I wouldn't say any of the big parties love me, like, like, like but, you know, I got invited to uh, um, our new senator, John Fetterman. Mm -hmm. I got invited to an event to speak on his behalf. Okay. You know, and, and I feel good about that. I think, um... I think people just don't know what to do with me because I won't be just an Eagles fan. <laughs> I won't be just a Sixers fan. You yeah, know? Yeah. I won't be just, I won't fit into anybody's box. I yeah. And I refuse to. Yeah. You just want to, you just want to, Hey, we can just minimize this violence and all of us get along. I don't care what you do. Let's just get along, chill and move forward. Well, I, basically I want to take emotion out of it completely and just say, and, and just say, give me your policy. Okay. What is, what is it you think? Because we all agree, let's talk about violence. We all agree that we need to figure out how to reduce violence. Yeah. Some people, yeah, think, definitely. Some people think you need five times the amount of cops to reduce violence. Other people think you need five times the amount of schools to, and, you know, and invest in schools to reduce violence. So when it comes down to it, everybody can agree on the goal. But then we fight and, and, 
and don't listen to each other enough right. on the policy. Yeah. How do you get there? What do you What do you think we need to do as far as cleaning up the violence? What you know, you're, you're there. You're in the trenches. You know, I'm on the outside looking in. What you know? Well, when it comes to everything, I'm a root cause guy. Okay. I want to know why things are happening. There, there's an interesting thing. <clears throat> there's an interesting thing uh, called the five whys. Oh. So whenever anything is happening, you ask why. Why is that happening? So let's say, let's say a kid just murdered another kid. Why? Oh, because the other kid insulted. Why? Um, because he's growing up in a culture where that kind of thing is kind of accepted. Why? Well, because, uh, there's some family issues and, and things like that. Why are there family issues? Well, because there've been problems for generations because we've been breaking up families and we've been, you know, and they've been poor and, and it's just like a, a thing. Why? What are we doing? Why? Because we held people down and we kept them down and we're not doing enough to bring them back up. And that's where I'm at. Mm -hmm. So I want to find the long term. There's two strategies. The long term strategy is lifting people up, getting people jobs, helping people if they're traumatized. You know, we've got a horrible mental health uh, shortage, mental health assistance shortage in this in this country where and, and a stigma against it. But, I mean, can you imagine seeing, like, your, your brother or your friend or something like that shot in front of you? Yeah. You know what that yeah. does to a kid? Or, or, or you're three years old and your dad gets dragged off, you Absolutely. know, or something? And that stuff sticks with you, and that creates the human being you're going to become. Yeah, that's a trauma that you would yeah. it, can it can trigger something, yeah. It, can, yeah. Ongoing, it definitely triggers something, yeah. Ongoing and, cycle. And, and so we got that side, but... There's still the truth that if people aren't going to, whether they have excuses or, or mental illness or whatever it is, if they're not going to act within the confines of society, what we all agree, like, I won't hurt you and you won't hurt me. I won't throw my trash on your lawn and you won't throw my, your trash on my lawn. You know, we yeah, all, right. we have to live, especially when you're in the city, we live on top of each other. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no place else. I mean live out in the country somewhere closest person might be you know quarter mile from you or something you can get away with more yeah you know but when when you got everybody piled up we have to adhere to some rules of how we treat each other and if folks aren't going to adhere to those rules then we got to do something either lock them away and help rehabilitate them help them get their GEDs while and all that stuff while they're in there we got to be separate we got to separate them until they can get their act together how about, uh, you know, I was just thinking, you know, on the outside looking in, what about more uh, boys and girls clubs? You know, more activities as far as after school, giving them something to do. 100%. You know what I mean? Instead 100%. of just, you know what I mean? And we, and unfortunately, so here's what happened in the city. We used to have, um, we used to have uh, community centers strategically located in all the lowest income neighborhoods. Okay. Grind uh, gym. You know, but where Lou and I, where Lou and I, well, where Lou used to live, where we met over on Penn Street, there was the Princess Street Center right there. Yeah. Um, Grimes Gym is the only one that's still left that the city runs. Right. 
Um, but there was the Jefferson Center in Parkway. Uh-huh. Yeah. There was the um, Pine Street in Northeast neighborhood. The lighthouse. There was the lighthouse. Yeah. Well, the lighthouse wasn't run by the government. Though. That was a that was a private. One. I'm talking about what the government was able to do back then. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and then we had uh, Rotary Cranich. We had things going on out out on the east end, Willington. Um, back in the early 2000s, the federal government cut the money that paid for all that stuff. And they closed, they closed almost all of those. And uh, I have been, I have been trying to find a way to pay yeah. to get some of those things back. Because you that'll are, that'll be great. Yeah, that'll be great. You are a hundred percent right. We've been Diaz Woodard has been doing an amazing job putting together more programming. Okay. And, uh, Tino Conquest and Antoine Dorm have Stick and Move Boxing and yeah. Boys Club are in, in, uh, in Bonnie Grimes Gym. Nice, but but we need things in every neighborhood. We're about to invest probably three to four million dollars in what used to be called the Pine Street Center. Okay, um, and uh, we're going to be opening that up. It's going to be a health center and a community center and a and a police center. Nice, so, and the police are going to be involved in working with the kids and, and community stuff. and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Okay, okay. Um, but it's only really only because of state funding and the covid money um that that we're able to do that there, there's a lot of folks that are not a lot but there's some vocal folks that are mad at me right now because the princess street center has deteriorated so bad that we had to we had to close that up um, really yeah and uh i mean it wasn't being utilized anymore the way it used to but there was an amazing uh karate program in there there was some daycare in there um and uh but th- these are this is one of those tough decisions where you're like how much do you keep sinking into a building that is 120 some years old yeah um i'm trying to you know we tried to work on opening up the championship community center out there on on uh, west king street uh-huh. but that that didn't work out so that was my first effort to really start bringing back the community center then I have a deal or had a deal with the school district that we could start using the school district buildings, most of them after school. Um, but then COVID hit. So we've got to revamp that and reestablish that relationship. Um, but 100% the, the community activities, community centers are, I'm going to call a second tier solution. Um, this first tier is really in the family and help, helping those families or the home right where they are. Yeah. The community centers sometimes act almost as a surrogate family, you know, which is good because you know, the street is the surrogate family. If things aren't going right at home, absolutely. Or even if they are going right at home, but a kid just has a curiosity and wanders yeah. off and gets into off and, 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 you know, that's yeah. And right. uh, so I can agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to do everything we can do. And it's hard to beat the streets. They're there 24 hours a day. Yeah, it's open. You know, Absolutely. You know, you know. 65. Yep. And, and I won't get into all the rest of it, but like how they're, you know, they can support themselves. Streets support themselves. They'll find a way. It's a lot hard, harder to organize something under, the expenses and rules and all the things that you need to do to have a good community center. Yeah. I just hope we can come up with enough resources to make 
those community centers a lot better than the streets. You know, if we can, if we can come up to these kids and say, Hey man, go community centers, you know, it's going to be up. It's a lot less rougher. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? I'm with you a hundred percent. The hard part is that that community center closes in. You know, you can't, yeah. we don't have 24 hour community right. centers. We got 24 hour streets. You know what, what I'm saying, but <laughs> if we can have, if we can have something like after school programs and you know, anything to keep these kids motivated, edu- you know, or even just a little bit more educated and, you know, something to do from like, let's say five to eight, you know what I mean? That's cool. You know, if we can do that, maybe provide some, some, some snacks for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like, like, like that I would said, be a lot there, there's so many, there's so many people trying to do that with the resources that they have. And, uh, you know, we try to support them how, however we can, but creating more spaces, um, you know, the weary arts group at Union Church, I already mentioned, uh, stick and move and, and boys club, and, uh, just so, just so many different organizations right. around. But each one of them is scraping by and using their own money and using yeah. their own time, and not and it's hard to it's hard to keep it going long term. And when we talk about finances, how exactly does the city manage their money? Like, is there a, just a certain amount of money that we would put in to programs like that and have a cap on it? Do we, or is like all that money like in this one pot and you kind of separate it? How you feel? Like I know, like when we talk about money, like the water waste treatment plant, yeah. The sale of that got the city like a twenty million dollar deposit, right? No, oh, two hundred, two hundred million. It was two thirty five, but then they they paid twenty million up front, or how did that? Oh, 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 okay, the twenty million dollar yeah. deposit. All right, thank you. Yeah, thank so you. yeah, but here's the thing that people don't understand, um, and and it's hard, it's hard to understand, but um, actually, it's not that hard to understand if you owe. If you owe two hundred and so after all the other bills were paid, mm-hmm. I'll come back to the twenty million dollar deposit. Right, but I think the big number is more important. Two thirty five, two two hundred thirty five million. Then we had to pay all the fees and everything like that, and I think we were down to like two twenty, two two twenty some change or something. Then we also had to pay off all the city's debts, the or or put the money aside to pay off all the other all those other debts, and that was about sixty million dollars that we had to put aside. So now you're down to 160. Um, then the reason that we had to sell the wastewater treatment plant was because we were so far in debt for the cost of health care for employees and their families that has gone up a thousand percent in the last 20 years. So when you used to pay a hundred dollars, now you're paying a thousand dollars. And the pensions which are part of what attract people to work at the city. Um, you're at Harley, you said, right? You're looking yeah. forward, while you've only been there a couple of years, yeah. you're looking forward if you stay there. They've got a pension waiting for yeah. you, right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, something yeah, or, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's part of what attracts people. The pay at the city is not necessarily what you would make at some other places, but what you, where you come in at a somewhat lower salary, you're working to be taken care of the rest of your life after tire right that's the idea of what's supposed to happen with pension um for years and years the city lapsed on paying the pension fund so that we were about 90 million dollars in the hole in the pension fund wow and about 120 in the expected cost of health care 
120 million. So that's 210 million. Sheesh. I told you that we were already down to 160 million yeah. with the money we made off the wastewater treatment plant. Uh -huh. So my goal is to take as much of that 160 and invest it so that we start making money like capitalists, you know, like people with money know how to make money. Right. Yeah. Those of us that don't have much money, we still, we work paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And the, the city has been going paycheck to paycheck for 20 years or more than 30, 40 years. We haven't had money to actually invest to make more money. And uh, so now my hope is that we can get all this other stuff paid off and we can agree that we're going to invest most of this money in an account that pays us off four, five, six, eight million dollars a year to offset those other expenses. So I know what you were getting at, and, and this is the hard thing. We have things that we should be doing. And we have some money. And, and when I'm talking about the things we should be doing is figuring out better ways to take care of the kids and the family. Yes. And at the same time, we have a huge amount of debt. And if we spend all this money down on immediate expenses, then we won't have any money left to make interest or make, uh, make some money off of. And that's what we got to figure out. Now, we got this wastewater treatment, or I mean, we got the ARPA money, the American Rescue Plan money we got because of the, uh, because of the COVID. And I tried to get a lot of that towards job training, towards helping people in the neighborhoods and stuff like that, and, and that got shot down by the city council. Mm. And the city council came out with their own plan. Okay. And while there is some assistance for... Uh, homeless shelters and things like that. Uh, homeless shelter, you're treating you're treating a disease after it's happened. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like I said, I'm root cause. I want to prevent it in the first yeah, place. I'm trying to prevent the stuff in the first place. Yeah, and I haven't gotten I haven't gotten a lot of support in doing that. And I'm watching the amount of that. Uh, it's called ARPA money, but basically COVID. I'm watching that dwindle and dwindle and dwindle, and we got expenses. We need a new roof on the city hall. We need a new fire fire uh, ladder truck that's over like a million and a half dollars. Luckily, we are putting, hopefully, we're putting about one point five million at least into that new community center out okay. out at the old Pine Street Center. Is there a timeline for that community center? Um, yeah. What do you see that? What you know? Where do you I, see I that thing then getting done? Yeah, so. That building itself needs a, about a million or a million and a half in work just to open the doors regularly. Like if you just wanted a nice shell of a building. Right. I want to build a nice gym on the back of it. You know, not, nothing fancy, but a metal building, you know, a metal building gym. Because uh, right now it's, a, it's an old schoolhouse. It doesn't have a big facility to do anything. In it. It's just got a lot of little classrooms and stuff. Mm. So, um, and it's got like 10 years worth of work. I don't want, I want to get all the work done immediately. So not so that we don't have to keep closing it and say, okay, now we need to do this. Now we need to replace all the windows. Now we need to do whatever. Let's just get all the work done on the front end. So I'm hoping about a two-year period to get everything done and get it open. 
Now I want to I want to stumble back to the homeless real quick just for a second. So in 2013, your county had a 10-year plan on where uh, on basically stopping the amount of people homeless in a city. Um, 10 years would be coming up next year. Do you think the 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 population of the homeless has increased or de- decreased since you became mayor? Um, I think it probably has increased. Um, actually, I know it has increased. Uh, COVID, COVID put a lot of people out. COVID, you know, when when we had that period where you couldn't even go to work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then the fights between the landlords and right. renters and stuff. I was in the middle of a lot of that stuff, yeah, so- trying, trying to protect those renters. But we definitely have more. And there's something that people don't talk about very much is that we're actually getting more people from other places that come here to get services and to be homeless in our community because we do have, we don't, we don't have the best kind of support systems, but we have some pretty decent support systems. Um, again, I tried to put some of that COVID money towards that and uh, towards a group called Friends and Neighbors of Pennsylvania. They're, they're a great organization. They actually go out and hang out with the individual homeless people, get to know them. Nice. And find and actually, you know, show them respect and say, what can we do? Yeah. What can we do again out of love? Yeah, definitely. Out of love and kindness. How can we lift you up? Because feeding people every day, even putting them under a roof does not stop homelessness. Homelessness is a symptom of other stuff going on in your life. So it's only a, I'm going to say it's a small percentage of people where they ran out of money and therefore lost their home. Right. Usually it's some kind of situation that ended so up. So again, root, root cause. Root cause. Root cause. So do you believe that poverty and crime come hand in hand? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so. Well, let, let, let me. I'm going to say poverty and violent crime in the street go hand in hand. Because there's all kinds of crime in the suburbs. And there's all kinds of crime in the rural sure. areas. Yeah, it's just and a different kind. Yeah, yeah. There's a guy. So you might have heard of something we do called a. Uh, the Group Violence Intervention Initiative. It's called GVI. Okay. So GVI is a is a plan. A guy named David Kennedy started this thing. Uh, started up in Boston, I think. But it's where the community and the police get together, and we all say we're done with the violence. Community and everybody that can, we're gonna surround the people with love. And do all the things that we can do to help get them out of the life. But if they don't get out of the life, the police side and the U.S. Attorney's Office and FBI and ATF are going to say enough's enough. So we come out here with a carrot, with our hands out, with our arms open, and say, hey, we're here to help. But if you don't accept our help, you better expect the other. Mm. That's GVI, okay? Well, this guy. This guy uh, told a kind of a joke, but it's one of my favorite things ever, especially as a kid who grew up in the suburbs around a lot of drugs. Um, he said, what do you call, uh, what do you call a drug, or what do you call 
a city where the drug dealers all stay in their houses. The suburbs. <laughs> you know, they're not out shooting up places, you know, they're not they're not doing doing anything, but you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And hey, it makes sense. And and in this world, things are a little bit different. Like I, I have a little bit of knowledge about what's going on in the street. And before cell phones, there was a lot more of that street corner mentality holding down the block because it's your store. Yeah. This is your business. Now we have cell phones. There's not as much of that. Now the beefs are about other things. Um, there is geographic beef, but it's like you know, west side, south side, that kind of stuff. But it's more mental than it is, at least, tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems more mental than it does business. Right. Back in the day, when everything was on the street, it was business. Yeah. So do you believe, like, a key... A key could be like to the answer of like the crime and all, and the youth is to be more active, like police officers, like Mo. Mo's real active in the community, and he he's actually out there, actually walking around with these kids and and talking to these kids. Do you believe that we should put more officers in the street? Do we have resources to put more officers in the street, or do you think that could cause more of an issue? No, I think I think um, I think we absolutely need more neighborhood officers an officer that is assigned to your space you get to know and becomes part of the neighborhood and i think mo or commissioner muldrow <laughs> um i i think that's what um he is trying to do more of and uh i just approved 10 more police officers so increasing the police department by 10 percent uh that's only temporarily though because we have this money coming from covid and so some of that money is going going to that. So for the next few years, hopefully, we'll have at least 10 more police officers out there that he'll be a little bit more flexible with and we'll be able to assign to exactly that kind of stuff. So getting more police officers, not just speaking on police officers, I won't say his name, but going back to a situation where they had the, the, the officer that was at the college party and he did that awful mm -hmm. act. Um he was he was accused of doing that awful act. Right. Well, yeah, allegedly he did that awful act. Um and I, I did read a lot of stuff that you said and you were kinda of more like he needs to be disciplined. If he did actually do it, he needed to be disciplined and we needed Well, to what happened there actually was um I, I'm in a strange situation because I knew the fan I knew the, the three women that were um that made the accusations, I was uh friends with two of their families. Right. And I have to this day never said whether he did it or didn't do it. What happened was once he started getting into the interviews and stuff like that, he didn't tell us everything. And some information came out later, again, not specifically about whether or not he had done it, but about whether or not he told us everything about the situation. He was hiding some of what he was not. We did not believe, and the evidence that we had showed that he was not fully forthcoming with all the information. And for me, in such a delicate situation, well, for me in general, and by the rules of human resources, if you are not fully forthcoming during an employment interview, that's grounds for, for not being employed anymore. And I thought that under this circumstance, it was appropriate.
So you think the the outcome of it was justified, like it was justifiable? Or do you think more could have been done? Maybe, I, I mean, I, I would say like retraining, but it's almost like you can't train somebody to be themselves. So what could we have done or what can we do in the future to get these officers to actually... We're doing, I mean, the fact is, no matter where you work, whether it's in a school or university or politics or church or a police department, um, some people are really good. And again, we're not talking about this individual anymore. Mm -hmm. This individual is employed as a police officer, just not with the city of York. And we came to an agreement that that would be okay. I'm not, and again, very much repeating, there is no accusation that, that he actually did what he was accused, or there is no, we're not saying, I'm not saying right. <laughs> that he did it. Um, he is a police officer somewhere else now. Um, but in general, some people are really good at hiding who they are True underneath. Mm-hmm. Whether it's some of these preachers, whether it's a police officer, whether it's a politician. One of the things I say, and nobody likes to hear me say it because it always makes, sounds like I'm accusing somebody of something, but if you get 100 priests, 100 popes, 100 police officers or 100 politicians. One of them's going to be dirty. Mm-hmm. It's a human it's human nature. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, 2, 3, 4% of people are committing crimes. You know, we got people I'm not going to go through the whole list of crimes. But we got people out here and you just no matter how hard you try, I mean, we go through now and they didn't used to do this before I came into office, but when I came into office, I was like uh social media background checks. I want you to go through all the social media, yeah. everything that you can find. Step and if on. there's anything questionable, if they laughed at a racist joke, if they were participating in talking about violence towards people, you know, that those are all flags. And we need to really look for that kind of stuff before we give anybody the power. And I hope people think this way about politicians too because while i don't carry a gun i got a good bit of power in the city to determine how people are treated in their lives you know between me and the city council we can be making laws we can we can we can change how your life is and uh but the police are given some of the ultimate power in our society and they every one of them should be squeaky clean and we need to try and, you know, and we are trying to, to do that. But it is so, so hard. People are really good at hiding stuff. Yeah. While, while we're on that topic, um, I thought this was awesome, by the way. I seen you frontline at the Black Lives Matter rally downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to ask, were you looked at differently by people that you work around? Would you advise not to get involved or not to be? Because it, it was awesome to see your true self out there. Like I said, you're... Like I told you earlier, you're, you're, you're almost like an open spirit and you're so outgoing. Is that? Well, I, I, I said something then that got me in big trouble. I'm and sure. I'm, and that's why I'm going to say it again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, violence, violence by police or violence at all, discrimination, prejudice, is a white person's problem. And I got in big uh 
I lost support from some people because I said right. that on my Monday message. But think about it. Even though, even though you have some uh, people of color that are mayors and governors and president of the United States, if you look at Congress or you look at the legislatures of each of the states, except for maybe Hawaii, I don't know for a fact, but almost all of them are still made up of white males. Still white males making the decisions on how we are running this country. Mm-hmm. So if we are going to fix the problems, white males have to be part of the solution, if not leading the solution. And that's what I said. Wow. And I stand by it. Um, yeah, yeah, I definitely took some flack. Uh, yeah. I definitely took some flack for it. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, but, but facts are facts. There's no emotion involved. Just, just look at the facts. Awkward at work the you next know? day. Huh? Was it awkward at work the next day? No, no. We got a, the city of York. We've just got great, great people there. It was more outside people. Okay. It was, it was some outside people that, uh, you know, basically said we're never coming to to York again. Um, uh, you know, you. You made it look like we were doing, like white people are doing this on purpose. And I'm like, whether it's on purpose or not, it's happening. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, they're, and therefore, and you're in charge. Yeah. You know, again, we've had what? One black president out of 46 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and, and, and Cong- look at Congress, look at the state legislatures. I'm just looking at the facts and saying, there is a problem. I agree. And these are the people in charge. Amen. So you ain't got a PR guy that goes, hey, Mike, settle down, buddy. Don't, don't. I have got an attorney <laughs> she, and, and... That, that tries to keep me out of <laughs> the city's attorney. Uh, particularly, I'll give him a shout out, Jason Sable. Jason Sable does a really good job of trying to make sure that I don't get the city sued. Right. Um, but other than that, I don't think anybody's tried to put a leash on me, and uh, good luck for them. Good luck, good luck to them hey, if they try. That's, that's one of your best traits. Like I said, free spirit, outgoing, and, and it's hard to, to stop. It's, it's awesome that, that people people should know. I mean, you can't tell. If you tell Mike not to do something, nine times out of ten, he's going to do it. <laughs> and just to kind of piggyback off of that real quick, because even in let's say some of the places that are changing the dynamic of what the legislation is going to look like, say there is somebody put in that seat of power, so to speak. It always almost seems like there are underliers that also are decision makers that can affect the plan of what that head person is trying to change in the culture of legislation and things of that nature. So, so how does that, how do we basically at, on, on a full scale, how do, how do we take full control of somebody who is a different face now that is the face of whatever the situation might be? How do we get those other people to agree to some of those changes? Because like I was saying in the beginning, you know, everyone has their own hidden agenda at some point. It seems like, especially in politics. Um, and 
those hidden agendas can affect the main agenda uh, many of the times uh, because they may not agree. They may not like the person's skin color. They may not like what those people represent. But how do you fully clean house in order to start making some of those more positive changes that are needed for the community? Well, the most beneficial thing and the scariest thing about democracy is that it's a popularity contest. You don't have to have any qualifications. You don't have to. All you got to do is get one more person to vote for you than the other person gets. You know, mm. that's it. I mean, you, you like got to be 35 to be president, you know, that kind of stuff. But honestly, it is all about organizing and actually having people vote. Right now, the, uh, the U.S. House of Representatives just flipped from Democratic to Republican at the same time, and I am going to talk politics here for a second because we're talking social issues, and I believe the Democrats are better on social issues. Uh So the president is a Democrat. We just got, uh, just last night, I believe in Georgia, the senator, senator, the Democrat won the Senate seat. So we now, I think, have 51 Democratic senators. So there's a Democratic majority in the Senate. We had a Democratic majority in the House, and we lost it. Which happens when, because the politics is like a pendulum. You know, you get a Democratic president in, and other people come out and say, we need more Republicans in the House, whatever. But it's only by a few seats. Right. Pennsylvania, for the first time in a long time, the the House just went Democratic. And I think it's a difference of eight people in the Senate, whether it's a Democratic or a Republican, you know. Now, the one part of, one thing that is hard, uh, really hard, is the ge- geography of it. Nine times out of ten, rural areas are voting for Republicans. Nine times out of ten, urban areas are voting for Democrats. And the, the real playing field is in the suburbs. So what we need is people that believe in social issues, in helping the poor, in treating everybody equally, in making sure that people that we give power to go through not only power but guns, go through really good background checks to make sure that they're mentally psycho a psycho uh, I'm sorry I s- like evaluation psycho yeah psycho evaluation yeah. yeah exactly I wanted to make sure I said that first part right I didn't want to have yeah, a tongue twist absolutely and and that's how you do it I mean this is a democracy and whoever comes out wins so if those people if you know anybody who thinks that way and is not voting you just tell them, there's no excuse. Right. If, if you have the right to vote in this country, if, if you have that right, if you can get that card, you should be voting. And if you're not, just like I said at the, at the beginning, um, if I thought I could do a better job, it was my job to run for office. You think things should be different, and you're not voting in don't have much more to say to me. You shouldn't have an opinion then. Yeah, yeah. 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 If you're not gonna voice your opinion where it counts at the ballot box, yeah. Then why are you wasting my time any other day with your opinion? Yeah. So as a mayor, what has been what what do you think has been your highest point 
your most accomplished, like the the one thing that you're proud of that you you said when I when I become mayor I'm gonna do this. What do you think is your highest point, and what would be your lowest point that you think while you were in office? Wow. Well, <laughs> since you brought it up, and I don't know that this has, I don't know how much of a long term effect this really has. But since you uh, you brought up uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, I will call them more the George Floyd protests mm-hmm. because it was more than just an organization of people or a name. It was people that believed in justice across the board. Um, and the impetus was the George Floyd murder. Right. Flat out murder. Public yeah murder um i feel like i was really blessed for that situation because prior to me even getting involved with environmental stuff i was a protester like i would go down to washington dc yeah and i protested the first iraq war back in 1991 Mm -hmm. i was down there i'm like why they send in all these Poor people, brown people, black people, you know, why, why, are the, why are all these people being sent over there to fight these other people for some rich people? Yeah. Hey man, talk, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey and so me, you know, me, a 21 year, actually 20 year old, I was down there. 28, 29 year old, I'm, I'm protesting against the World Trade Organization. And, uh, um, because what they were they were giving out loans to these political leaders, the political leaders would spend the money, the political leader would move on, and the poor people of the country would have to pay back the loans, you know, and and it would mess up the economy. Haiti's one of the biggest examples of this, where where supposedly they were trying to help, and uh, it ended up just hurting hurting the people. What in Haiti, right? Huh? In Haiti? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I was protesting against that. And down there, I was lined up. We were blocking the meeting. We were blocking the building so they couldn't have their own. And the cops came. And we were lined up arm in arm. And the cops were lined up against us. And then some more protesters came in and sandwiched the cops. Old school protesting. Created a very dangerous situation. And we told the other protesters, Get the hell out of here, you know, look what you're doing. You're you're about to create violence. And thank God for the for the police captain or, or, or whoever was in charge there, he got all his police to take a right turn and just walk away. Uh-huh. Just walk away. Because they weren't helping. The only way that this was gonna go, it was gonna go bad. So the day before we had our first organized protest in York City. I was watching what was happening up in Harrisburg and I saw this Latino cop or had the, I'm assuming looked to me like Latino cop had the complexion that generalized and in, in riot gear, you know, with the shield and everything. And I saw these protesters coming at him and I'm like, why do they have cops out there when the people are protesting the cops? Like, you're setting yourselves up. And don't you know, 
tear gas up there, violence in Lancaster, burning blocks in Philadelphia. Stuff was going off. It was popping off all over the country. And so I sat down with my team and I said, I don't want one police officer on the streets anywhere near these protests. Like they are protesting police. Don't put police up there. Sorry about that. Oh, you're good. And, uh, and so we had lots of police, but they were all in buildings, basically, in case. And, and we had the, the quick response team from the county. There were police all around in case anything went down. Right. But not out where they, it was me, it was the police commissioner at the time, and three other police officers, all of whom took a knee with everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay. uh, we let the protesters use the steps of the police department and say anything that they wanted to insult the police, whatever it sticks and stones, you know, <laughs> just, just let it go, man. Say whatever you have to say. And we were listening and other, other, pre- other council members came out, other people came out and we let everybody protest until they were tired and they went home through that entire incident. We had the one car and individual that was attacked because they made verbal comments right into the middle of the protest that drew drew an incident. Um, and we had a kid that, that broke out one little window of the police department because he threw a bottle at it. And the protesters surrounded him and said, we don't do that here. That's not why we're here. They're actually listening to us. They're actually here with us. We're not trying to stir up any of this stuff. We had one of the safest communities in this entire country where there were actual protests going on. And I'm very proud of that. Like I said, I don't, and I feel like I was built for it. Right. Because I had been the protester, but now I was also in charge of the police. So I had both sides. Right. So you had that experience on the ground. Yeah. And uh, so, again, I don't know how much of a long-term impact it is, but it was one of the things that I felt like I was built for. Like that day or that week, I was like, yeah, this is, and yeah. and to compare it to the the mayor back in the '60s, and people were trying to protest about the housing conditions and stuff like that. He sent the cops out with German shepherds. You know, he went out with a German shepherd. He went out and I mean, they went out and they attacked people, and people attacked him back. And we had the riots. Yeah, the and, Republican. And then, and then they called the National Guard. I don't know. It's hard to tell. But the further back you go. Um, it's hard to, to tell between the Democrats and the Republicans. I got you. Um, that's part of the funny history. You know, Lincoln was a Republican. You okay. know, the, the guy that freed the slaves was a Republican. Jesus. Um, I'll make no further comment on what has happened to Republicans and Democrats since the, and then the Democrats yeah. were pro-slavery. Jesus. During the Civil War. But over time, those parties kind of shifted their positions. Yeah, as views change and yeah, times yeah. change. So that's a whole nother his, that's a whole nother history thing to get yeah. into, but uh, um, so, but other than that, I think, man, there's a lot of things to think about. We had to sell the wastewater treatment plant, or the city would have been ta- the city taxes would have gone up almost fifty percent. That's something so you many, push so very many hard people, too. So many people would have been out of their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, businesses would have fled the city, and it doesn't save us. That money's going to run out few years 10 years maybe you know and that but it gave us a chance to breathe 
while because other it's not just the city it's not like york just mismanaged all its funds we are going through the same thing that almost every city in pennsylvania and the pennsylvania government mm-hmm. is going through with pension and healthcare costs that's the same thing so my goal was to put us like move us from one of the worst ones to one of the better ones so that as more communities are suffering hopefully eventually harrisburg will take the action that they need to do to change the taxation system because they created the taxation system when the cities were rich when all the companies were in the city all the rich people lived in the city the highest valued properties the highest paid people all lived in the cities and now it's the exact opposite we are the concentration of poverty most of the businesses or most of the manufacturers stuff like that have left, left the city and and the uh, the values of the properties values of the properties and the income of the people are some of the lowest around you can't keep a city running like that and harrisburg has to change it and we need people to vote in the suburbs for democrats to try and get that to change because it's not going to change uh the way it is I felt so, good, right? So, felt good saying I'm pushing for something and actually accomplishing it. Yeah, yeah. And I know you were going hard for the the water plant. So, so what's the worst thing? Man, lowest point of your your political and career. Before you actually get to the lowest point situation, kind of wanted to piggyback off of something uh, that was interesting. So, uh, with my understanding of you being boots on the ground and being front line as far as protesting goes. Um, from a political standpoint, uh, what what was your view on what I call the the terroristic act that took place uh, when the Capitol was stormed? Uh, I think it was treason. Out and out treason. I mean, even even during the Civil War, they didn't attack the Capitol building. Right. I mean, they once war was declared. They would have, they would have loved to have taken the Capitol building, you know, uh, to try and end the war so that they could have separated um, and made their own country. But even even at that time, nothing like that. We've never had, we've never had uh, a semi-organized group of people, uh, or organized multiple organized groups of people, literally go into the heart of democracy and kill people on the floors of democracy. And that's what happened. Do you think it was taken as serious as it was? Or do you think uh, they try to kind of like brush it off? And I've heard people brush it off and I don't even know what they're thinking. I, I can't, you know, there's some types of people that do stuff and you're like, I can't figure it out. Like, I can't even, like, man, I can, I can figure out, or I at least can see the steps of how one of these kids on our street ends up killing another kid. I can see the steps. I can see what happens. But, like, I don't know how anybody can ignore or try to downplay or alter the facts that people were murdered on the floor of the U.S. Capitol, you know, in the building of the U.S. Capitol, on the floors of democracy. There's a lot of politics there, too, like people in that are actually in government that were there also. Yeah. Not 
Well, and there's certainly a lot of people that are in government right now that are still defending it mm-hmm. or underplaying. So that's what I think. Now, I know people people are their own person. Nobody put a gun to nobody's head when they did it. Do we have a little bit to blame on Donald Trump for the whole situation? It's at a minimum. At a minimum, it was inspired by Donald Trump. At a minimum. Whether it was directed or not, I can't say. I didn't spend a lot of time. I know some people that watched like every bit of the January 6th hearings and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know if he was on the phone directing the whole thing. Or, Almost um, felt like it, right? Um, but uh, I can tell you that, I mean, even today we're still, still dealing with that whiny baby <laughs> mentality yeah. that if I didn't win, there somebody else did something wrong. It's like the most immature kind of thought process. Yes. You know? It's like, just take your lumps and leave yeah. and come back and play tomorrow, you know? Guess what, Eagles? You lost by one today. <laughs> that doesn't oh, mean, you know, see, I got, I got a day. I got a day. Yeah. <laughs> the Eagles, wow. we haven't lost by week. one in a while for two weeks, man. I'm, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry no, about no. that. We're living You know what I'm saying now? I'm saying men and women, people of respect, lose gracefully and get up and play again. Sounds like a Panther fan. You know? <laughs> no Panthers. So that's how, that's how, and, and that's how people tell, talk to me about running against me, and I'm like, yes, run, do it. This is supposed to be a competition of ideas and a comp, you know, like that. Go for it, mm-hmm. you know? And, and this idea of, yeah, turning, uh, of, I will say this, the playbook of a fascist, the playbook of a person who is trying to undermine a government and undermine democracy could not have played that better. To get enough people thinking that you can't trust the elections, you can't trust what you hear on, and I'm not saying you should trust everything, you certainly not on the internet. You know, there's so many different oh. things that you can pull up. Sure. But, but at some point, you got to believe that 99% of 99% of doctors said that covid's real then it's real let's figure out now the steps of whether we should mask or whether we should uh get you know uh, vaccines and stuff like that that's all stuff we can talk about but when you can't even agree that something's real you've lost everything you've lost again you lost society there's got to be things that we can all agree on to keep ourselves functioning right and uh, to get people to believe that all elections are rigged, and when you have politicians that say before the election results even come out, if I lose, it was rigged. <laughs> you know, what is that? Oh, anyhow. So uh, as I thanks for uh, helping me stay apolitical there. I try my <laughs> best. I try my best to stay apolitical. Um, I've got a lot of good Republican friends, and I think they all know I have no respect for Donald Trump. So, all right. 
Amen, Mike. Say that one more time. <laughs> I said I have a lot of Republican <laughs> friends, and they all know I don't have respect for Donald Trump. So before we lose the topic, your lowest point, Mike. Yeah, I was hoping we were going to delay so I didn't have to. Need it. <laughs> Need to know your lowest point, because your lowest point is probably really not that low. I think my lowest point just keeps happening, and that's my inability to find a way to communicate you know, to communicate and work with the York City Council. I just now you held that I, I, I've you held tried. that top seat though. So yeah, I was I was a city councilman for six years. I was the president of city council. If it's impossible and, for you to find a way to communicate with them, it's probably impossible. Huh? Well, you know, I wasn't going to run for a second term, and when, and I even tried to get um, other people to run, <laughs> and they wouldn't run. It's all you, Mike. Um, and. Uh, One of the, probably the main reason was that I was afraid that there were too many folks that had something against me, a, a personal agenda against me. People that I was, uh, that were upset because I beat the last mayor. Um, I think that's most of it. People that maybe think this is all a show, you know, that everything I said tonight, I'm just like making it up. I don't make it up. You know, this is me. And, uh, and it's certainly, like, I don't need to be doing this. I don't need to be mayor. I didn't become mayor to boost my ego. I didn't become mayor because it pays money because it doesn't. You know, I'm making 75 grand a year to run a $100 million company. Where does that happen? You know? Yeah. That doesn't happen in the real world. Uh, so, like, I, I guess... I don't know what it is, but I, I thought maybe if somebody else would get in and run that uh, they could, that had the same vision, that had the same love for the community, that maybe they could do it, but then I couldn't get anybody to step up. And uh, so so I did it. And uh, up your sleeves and you, you said, you know what, I'll also, let's see what I can do. Yeah. And, and I'm still, you know, as of last night, I still found, you know, doesn't seem to be anything I can do. So I just keep, just keep working on, on the next thing and try to get as much done as possible. You know, like we said earlier, I tried really hard to get a lot of things in place to help the people of the city when we got that COVID money. Yeah. And we have passed almost nothing um, that helps people get a job or that helps people get mental health or helps people um, lift themselves up. That's really the vision that I had. That You know, you got $35 million. You got to be able to help lift some people up here. Let's get some job centers going. You know, let's get whatever we need. Let's get people GEDs. Let's, you know, let's build people up. And uh, I've not been able to get any agreement on any of that stuff. Now, now bringing up uh, how you said people were upset of you, who you were running against before, um, do you think you had somewhat kind of the same vision as Mayor Kim Bracey did? No. Not at all? You think it's like a whole, you guys are two completely different people? Yeah, and I can only go by, and this is one of the reasons why I ran. She was quoted in the newspaper saying that, um, it's not the government's job to get involved in the social issues of the community. 
And my response was the government made the social issues of the community. You know, institutional racism, redlining, like all this stuff was all created with government support. Even the welfare system, which I do not think works, it doesn't function in the way it's supposed to work. The welfare system should be a lift me up, not a um, you're never going to be anything more than this kind of system. You know what I mean? Like some people get comfortable in the system and stay there. It's almost like people that like to stay in prison. You know, they're like, it's easier to be in prison than it is to be out here. You know, people, yeah. you know, people with that mentality, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not making that up. There is actually a mentality like that. Three meals on a cot. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And somebody else does my laundry. Somebody does my cooking. You know, it's hard out. It is hard out here. People to talk to. Um, but, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I got distracted thinking about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I really believe, and, and whether or not, you, you, can, you can't always trust what says says but in my, my my predecessor was the director of community development for six years and then the mayor for eight years that's 14 years and i really felt like uh, i wanted to see more help going into the neighborhoods than i was seeing i wanted to see more and i'm not saying that i've been that successful at it but i keep trying I keep trying. I keep talking about it, you know, trying try to make it happen. Um, so, yeah, I think that that was the difference, and that's why I ran. I, I didn't feel like uh, like there was enough going on positive for the community. You know, I don't know if you ever hear about the donut. You got the no. down, downtown and the donut. Uh, you know, the donut is everybody, uh, <laughs> like all yeah. the people that live in the city yeah. and have lived in the city for generations. And then you got the downtown, which is the business and the area of generally a lot quicker turnover. Um, like we've got families like on my block that have been there for 50, 60, 100 years. And those families still aren't getting help. You know? Yeah. And there's just got to be a better way. Yeah. There's got to be a better way. We, York has so much going for it. I said this earlier, I'm going to say it again. You know, if we could just, if 10 or 15 kids, young people, mostly young men, 15 to 25, 10 or 15 of them would choose not to pull the trigger, the city wouldn't need an economic development plan. The city is located centrally between D.C., Baltimore, Philly, and New York. But it has everything that you could want. It's got beautiful buildings. It's got, you can be on a farm in five minutes or, or be in the city in five minutes, you know? You, you, there's so much going on for this city. We've got great people here. We've got a small percentage of them that are messing it up for everybody. That's how it is about everywhere, you know? But if we could help enough people, to lift them up, which in turn helps people not turn to crime, which gets them not involved in the life, which gets them not shooting each other. People looked at York on a map, and it said, the perfect place to live. 
we wouldn't need to pay to have a company here. We didn't wouldn't need to pay economic development people. You know, we, people would flock here. But instead, when you look on it, it says murder rates close to Baltimore. You know, we talked about this before we started. Murder rates some years close to Baltimore. You know, and school, the school isn't performing. It's not the school that's not performing. It's these kids that are traumatized and stuff and don't know where they're sleeping. 700 homeless kids school i think school district is like six thousand kids or something and over 10 percent of them are couch surfing or hotel or sleeping in a car or something like that right. how are you going to be a, how are you going to be learning when when you don't have that stability you don't know your next move or your next meal or your next rest spot rest spot you know what i mean yeah i know what you mean yeah so how do you and this is this is the thing uh a lot of people put down the, the city schools and even the city teachers, the city administration. Most of it, most of it, not any of that. It's all about whether that one little vessel is confident enough in their life, in their safety, that they can then go in and spend time focused on learning and not thinking about how sad they are or how uncertain they are or. Know who's gonna sneak up behind them, or you know who's gonna whatever. That's the stuff. That's again root causes, man. If you remember anything about ever hearing about me, root causes. Cause. And if you're doing anything else, it's a band. What else you got for me? So he said something like an hour. Is are we going on two hours now? <laughs> yeah, man. There is two more things that I. Oh, that's I all right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm having a good time. There's there's some things that they want to get to. So going forward for the rest of your term, what are your priorities going forward? Can I get three that are tangible and the actual possibilities of you achieving them? Yeah. I've already mentioned them, I think, but they need to be revamped. There you go. Um, the neighborhood community centers, so Sylvia Newcomb Center, the old Pine Street Center, and getting the school buildings open at night. Um, in conjunction with something we haven't talked about, which is our community ecosystem coordinator program, which I started. The idea is that you have one community organizer in each neighborhood, and that person goes door to door, gets to know everybody, just kind of, and, and gets to know their needs and figures out how to connect them with the resources. Because the people that need us the most don't have time to come and ask for help. The mom who's working with three kids and, and can, you know, and one of the kids is sick and, and doesn't have a car, you know, 45% of the people out in our, in your old neighborhood, in my neighborhood still, West out on the West projects. End, 45% of the people don't have cars. Yeah. You know? So everything they do is so much harder. And they don't have money to Uber everywhere. You know, they might be able to take an Uber in an emergency or, or go to the grocery store or a taxi or something. But, you know, to get to here, to get this kind of assistance, to get to here, to get job training, to get to here, to do this and that, you know. So getting that system set up so that people that don't have the time to come and ask for help or maybe don't have the trust to come and ask for help or maybe don't have the whatever it is whatever it is, that they're not getting what they need and don't feel like they can ask. Having somebody that, that they can trust 
and it starts off simple. You knock on their door and talk to them. Come back a few weeks later, you knock on their door and talk to them. Come back, and then you then you say, hey, guess what? This week, the uh, the uh, job training program is going to be over here at the church two blocks away. You think you can make it? Oh, I can make it two blocks. You know, I might not have been able to make it over there, but I can make it two blocks. I can, I can do that. So, so that combination, and then those people also, those ecosystem coordinators help get programming into the schools in the evening. They're the ones that help utilize the space. They don't do the programming, but they're the networkers. They connect people with programs and programs with the locations, locations with people. It's like a triangle. Oh, and they're at they're at the center, so really expanding that program, and so that's two, the spaces mm-hmm. and the ecosystem coordinators. My big third one. I would say probably. Well. This one is boring to most people, but it's not to me. And that is to set the city up for a better financial, set it up for better financial success. Important. Um, and find ways to at least keep the taxes from going up any further. There was, there was some hope at the beginning that we could maybe bring the taxes down. Um, but what I really learned after really studying it is that the most expensive, most valuable buildings in the city where people are paying the most taxes are owned by people that don't live in the city. So while, while it would feel good and it might benefit me if my $50,000 house got a, uh, got a 5% tax cut, right? I got a 5% tax cut. My taxes are now $3,000. So if I got a 5% tax cut, I would get an extra $150 a year. That sounds pretty good, right? Mm. $150 a year. But the guy that owns the building where all the offices are, that guy would get $15,000 a year. And... So you see how it drains all that money. You, know, you want to talk about programs for the kids? Guess what? All that money got drained out, and it went back out into the suburbs, or it went out of state because most of the most valuable property in the city is not owned by city, by city residents. Again, I feel bad for those that have homes that are struggling, but when you really compare who gets the biggest benefit out of that, it's not that person that's struggling. It's the person that is not struggling and doesn't even live in the city. Right. Yeah. So my goal is to try and while while the prices of everything go up, because I told you about healthcare it went up a thousand percent in twenty years. Every year the employees get a three percent pay raise, you know, because just to keep up with inflation and stuff like that. And all the cost. Lumber, if we're going to build something, pavement, if we're going to pave a road, you know, everything goes up. Contracts to get anything done. All that stuff keeps going up. The only way to pay for it is to raise taxes. So if I can set us up that we have a growth trajectory of expenses 
but our revenues can still cover it without raising taxes, then I will feel successful. Awesome. All right. It's not the it's not the sexiest thing to talk about. No, 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 no. But it's something that, <laughs> no, no, no. You're it's just, important though. Um, yeah, at yeah, the end of the day, you're what you're yeah. you're into. You need money to make other things happen and and fulfill an agenda. So, you know, may not be the sexiest conversation, but definitely necessary and you 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 spoke a lot about things that you want to do and things that you're going to accomplish what do we do as a community to help you make that happen number one take care of your kids take care of your nieces your nephews be role models guide go back to your neighborhoods if you moved out of your neighborhood yeah and uh and try and give back and Give, give these kids love. People talk about food, clothing, and shelter. Like, yeah, that's the basis of survival, right? It's not. It's food, clothing, shelter, and love. If you don't feel love and respected, you know, have you ever seen, you know, and I'll say, I'll say it this way. If a kid is not loved and respected, a kid will do whatever it takes to get attention because that's the closest thing. Attention is at least acknowledgement, you know? And I feel like, I feel like we just, our kids need more, more love and more, more respect for, for the good things and make learning exciting. Basketball and football are great for Sundays. Or whatever. But that's not going to get these kids to success. You reward learning. That's another thing. You got love. Love is a kind of reward. If you reward learning, your kid is going to learn to love to learn. And they're going to take it with them for the rest of their life. And that is a, that is a key to success. So that's the biggest thing is that we've got to find ways to help our kids. You see that your brother, your sister, your whatever isn't quite getting it, chip in and help. You don't need to come down on them because that's going to create a mess. But if you can find a way to sneak that love in, you know, to sneak that support in for these kids growing up, because nine times out of ten, there is something behind... Uh, where a kid did not feel like they were getting everything. And this is not a blame game at all, because just like that mom with three kids and one of them's sick, stuff like that, you know, that's real. We got a lot of single mom families. We got some single dad families. We got some people who are working just to keep a roof and food on the table. And maybe they don't have all the time that they need to be giving the kids everything. So having any kind of help, so it's not just the community centers, but it's closer. It could be right next door to you. Um, that's, the, that's the biggest thing, I think. Um, the next thing I would say is support some of these organizations that are that next tier. Almost everything I'm going to say, except for voting, because that's don't get to the root cause unless you get to the top decision makers. And the top decision makers also believe in the root cause. 
but everything else is about kids. I mean, either you're supporting the the families or you're supporting the organizations that support the families or when we get these community centers up and running, you have things, you have ideas, and you're willing to commit to creating a program. That that's what I'm going to ask. Think about what you can do for kids because because that's the that's the root. So you have, this is your second term. I don't know how, to, how it works with mayors. Could you run again for another term? I could, but I'm not going to. Okay. So I got three years left. Right. So, with so you, I got I to get some stuff done. With you saying that before you leave office, how do you, once you're out of there, how do you want outsiders to be able to describe York City after you leave? As a place that supports families as a place for second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Um, a place that a place that puts love at the center of decision making. Now I'm sounding a lot like a hippie here. Maybe oh. maybe because it's I'm I'll leave it. Or maybe I'm sounding sounding like a preacher. Maybe uh I'm not sure. But uh but it it's the truth. I mean people act a whole lot differently when they Think through love. You know, it's easy to walk by a homeless person. It's easy to throw a kid in jail, let him rot for the rest of his life. That stuff's easy. But to actually love and think of everybody as your brothers and sisters, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how uh, spiritual you all are, but I believe we're all brothers and sisters and children of God. You know, for real. I don't care if you're on the other side of the world. We are all brothers and sisters. And the way you treat each other is the way you treat yourself. Uh, do unto others the way you would have them do unto you. It's an old story. Mm-hmm. It's not hard, but we don't we keep forgetting it. So that's it, man. Just uh York is a place of love and and support for everyone. So completely off topic. If Kanye West ran for mayor of York. Would you vote for that, yeah, man? This guy. <laughs> Cause we talk about Kanye a lot. You talking yay? Yeah, we talking yay. You talking yay? Are we voting for Kanye <laughs> or are we not voting for Kanye? Oh my! Oh, I was just gonna say something really bad. I can watch myself <laughs> sometime. Let's see. Uh, I think. I don't know. I think. I don't believe there is a Donald Trump. I think that Donald Trump is just gay in a Trump outfit. Ooh. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> all right one more before we check out of here i, I want to i don't so i want to start like a trend we, we don't always we ask each other all the time top five dead or alive rappers in your book i want to make it a trend to ask even people that you wouldn't think listen to our kind of music Jeez. what are your top five rappers of all time dead or alive no order no order and no specific order I'm this gonna is going to trend for a with, long time. I don't even know if you guys even know. Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five. I know so, them. Whew. They, they, they fire. Talk. Sugar Hill Gang. Sugar Hill Gang fire uh, too. Um, KRS-One. KRS-One is another fire heat. He's getting there. Oh. Man. I love Pac. Hey. <laughs> it's this guy. 
All right. Um, talk over Biggie real quick before you get that last one off. There's no order. There's no order, man. You don't got to. Uh, really before that. you get. Oh, five I want to know. I don't want to. You always try to do that little pocket biggie. Pocket I know, no. Man, I don't want to make it easy on myself. It's all love. It's all I love. I don't make it easy on myself. I need to actually think here. I'm trying to go back to the day because you guys weren't even around. Listen. Like 80. I'm from the Mecca of hip hop, so I know. <laughs> I know, but you know I, mean, what I mean, when we started, so I had a friend. I'm talking 1983. And. Nobody else ever heard of this stuff. He'd take us up to his room and he'd put on Sugar Hill and put on Grandmaster Flash and all this stuff, man. And we were like, we were like, what is this, man? You know, and it took everybody else later, you know, once Aerosmith and, uh, um, all right, I'm, I am going to go Beastie Boys. I am going to go Beastie Boys. I know that that might be a little, uh, might be a little Hollywood for you, but, uh, (laughs) but, but it, it, but, but it was my jam. It was my jam back then. You heard it. Hey, you know, that, was that, right. that, that, that was high school stuff. So yeah. I'm going to go with it. I, I ain't going to lie. He got me at KRS-One. <laughs> hit me with a left hook right there. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Back in that, like I said, KRS-1 man. was very, uh, you know, king of hip-hop right there. KRS-One was definitely it, man. Nice. That was a good choice. Yeah, I, I wasn't uh, expecting that. I'm talking, yeah. What, Grandmaster what, Five and the Furious Five. Yeah, yeah. that was that was it. Don't push yeah. me. Yeah, the message. The message. The yeah, yeah, the message. That's what it's at. Yeah. The message is yeah, it. Message, yeah. That's I'll what tell you what, though. I will, I will, uh, the hardest, one of the hardest things I've ever done is try to do the message karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. I tried right. to pull that off. I was like, nope, not going to try that again. <laughs> all right, Mike. Well, we appreciate you coming, man. We appreciate you coming, showing love. Um, Dave Scar, thank you very much. Man. Yeah, hopefully, oh, man, thanks, got, thanks for coming by, you. taking time. Hopefully, we got some answers for the public that they they because a lot of those questions um, were definitely asked by people that wanted to know. So, all right, and hope. don't don't hate me for my yay comment, man. Don't don't, <laughs> don't hate me. <laughs> all right, guys, thanks for listening. You got another episode, great episode. Thanks for supporting. Subscribe, share, like. We got Mary Mike in the building, ladies and gentlemen, sure. and we out. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. I got pissed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>